We are Michael Vesey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. More importantly, you are the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. We're here to get you there. For show notes with links and resources mentioned today and for other GC resources like downloads, just visit our blog, theecommerceleader.com. Welcome back to the e-commerce leader, the place for people who want to be the best e-commerce leader they can be. And if that's you, then today we're in the middle of a very important topic, which is intellectual property. Now, that's not a sexy thing in the sense that law is normally seen as something we don't want to deal with or it's going to be painful. If we do, the uh, truth is that if you get it dealt with up front, it will not be painful later. And that's the main thing, I guess, that we're trying to get across. We've been talking about trademarks in, in depth and intellectual property in general. Today, we're going to cover copyrights and patents or patents, whichever way you want to pronounce them. And it's all much more doable than you think is what I would say. So if you have any interest at all in this, I'd encourage you to educate yourself and we'll do our best to give you not a lawyer's angle, which we are, neither of us, Jason or myself, are qualified lawyers, but we are entrepreneurs who can give you that sort of angle. So worth educating yourself about enjoy the show. So copyrights, Robert Wright's favorite thing. And as I say, he's a man who likes to keep it as simple as possible, which by the way is unique in a lawyer. As a lawyer's son and know a few lawyers through business dealings, never met one he likes to keep it simple. So this is a wonderful piece of news, I think. So the first thing about copyright, like a lot of other things, if you create a work of some kind, like you take a photograph or you write mm -hmm. some copy for your listing, or you create a beautiful box design, or you do some infographics, all of that is automatically copyrighted under common law in the UK and the US, as I understand it. And there is a nuance there, which I ought to mention, which is if somebody else creates it on your behalf, just because you own the photos doesn't necessarily mean you own the rights to use the photos, or you may implicitly have rights, whatever, and it could get very, very nuanced very quickly in a way you didn't yeah. don't want. So the first thing is make sure you get in writing from anyone who creates anything for you, the fact that they're assigning all rights to you. Some of the platforms like Fiverr recognizes the fact that this is an issue and it's part of its standard agreement between anyone who hires the people on the platform and the, the gig workers there, mm -hmm. that unless otherwise stated that you get all the rights unfortunately mm -hmm. upwork and other such mm -hmm. platforms don't automatically do that and if you hire somebody through a friend or whatever uh, or you you know go through a more broad hiring process that's not necessarily the case so that's one thing to just nail down that is very quick and easy uh, you don't even yeah. need a lawyer mm -hmm. it doesn't need to be notarized mm -hmm. but if you don't have that then five months five years down the line like this u.s firm that that uh, robert was helping with their intellectual property they were trying to sorry you're an australian company they were trying to sell a two million dollar business mm -hmm. they hadn't documented some rights to use some photos that were done on Upwork five years before. They couldn't find the guy and it nearly scuppered the deal, except that the people buying it realized that they was probably going to lose a good company for silly reasons, but it certainly slowed things down. So that's something you want to avoid. Just get it all in writing. Uh, there's a lot of nuance here, I think, for creators. You know, Ol asked the question as it relates to registration and trademark as it relates to handmade items and that kind of thing. And this is the space we've operated in for, uh, I guess, since 2007. One of the things that's important to understand for creative work is when you've created concepts, intellectual property, and you've published them and you own them legally or formally or informally, there's process for both steps, but either way, it's your content uh, and your intellectual property. What you don't want to see happen is people make money on the back of your intellectual property. And frequently we have this all the time. This happens all the time on marketplaces like Etsy or Amazon Handmade, where it's like, oh, I'm making the Baby Yoda shot glass. Disney doesn't sell Baby Yoda shot glasses, so that should be fine, right? And what you 
as a creative, like a, a craft seller, frequently you can think my product I'm making is the thing I'm selling. But as soon as you use someone else's copyrighted or, or concept to make the sale occur or to make the item appealing, you're camping on someone else's intellectual property and you're, you're really stealing from them. And that's an important concept to, to think through because the shot glass with no baby Yoda on it is mm. not valuable in the same way with the baby Yoda shot glass. And as a, and you just have to learn that as you get into the craft and handmade and, and those kinds of industries. And the, the biggest problem we've seen over the years is people will copy other people that are not that are that are breaking the law. And so basically what you'll see is a lot of people will come in and be like, oh, I'm doing this. And we're like, yeah, that's illegal. Well, tons of other people do it. Like, yes, that's true. And they haven't gotten cop- taken down yet off the websites and they haven't gotten busted yet and their products are being listed and sold. But nonetheless, it's still a copyright uh, infringement. Yeah. And that nuance is super important to understand. And y- you, you, it becomes clear to you when you get a cease and desist letter from a big company, but it should become clear to you well before that, where you ask honest questions about how you're monetizing and making money with your products and whether you're in essence stealing from someone else in that process, you know? Yeah, th- that's a very, very good point. And I guess another way of looking at it is to assume it's a bit like land. I mean, in the US is such a big country. This is probably less of a thing, but Europe's very, very, very crowded. It's been in, yeah. you know, the landscape in the UK was changed by humans 10,000 years ago. It, sure. It's just human yeah. modified. There's no piece of land in the UK that isn't spoken for. So if you come across a piece of land and start building a house on it randomly, the chances are exceptionally high that at some point somebody's going to come off and, and, and force you to take it down and be impossibly arrest you if you don't because everything is owned by somebody so the simple question i would ask is who owns this if it's nobody it's probably because you made it yourself and in which case you need to find the right kind of protection mm-hmm. just just this more nuance here and this is why it's worth mm-hmm. going to lawyers to get clear about stuff i guess i would say if you've got a, a baby yoda that's a trademark infringement if you've got a picture of the baby Yoda that somebody mm-hmm. else took, that would be a copyright infringement. So that's mm-hmm. a neat sure. little example. Nuance, yeah. But if you own, if you made something like a baby Yoda or whatever it is, baby something that's a cute kind of thing that people love and it causes products to sell, mm-hmm. you could own the trademark in that. You could own the copyright in the image. You could own the copyright in the the actual sort of uh, graphic of, of a cute little thing. You could own the copyright in the way that uh, a photograph was made of a, a mug with that on, etc. So mm-hmm. you can wrap yourself in layers of protection. Mm-hmm. The flip side, as you've just mentioned, is that you could be um, breaking about 10 different intellectual property laws at once if you just copy somebody else. So right. <laughs> again, it's, it's two sides. I always encourage people to just create their own unique concept, their own unique animal, their own unique, you know, named thing or or a design idea. And so I think that's that's the encouragement is come up with your own novel, you know, intellectual property idea if and and that's the that's the best answer and don't don't make sales in the back of other people's. So yeah. that's one piece of this. There are a lot of other slivers of this or other topics to, you know, to discuss, but yeah. what else is top of mind for you on? You yeah. Know, so I think the simple thing is this, I mean, get great photographs done for your uh, products, which you mm-hmm. absolutely should do. You spent money and time on them. I've just went through a process with a, a client who's worked, launching his first product. I, I mm-hmm. try not to work with new clients because it's exhausting because not only if you've got to teach them everything, but you've got to do it as well. But we, we spend a lot of time and effort on it. It's taken, I don't know, 50 man hours in the end. 
or person hours. Now, that's worth protecting for that reason, and it's also worth mm-hmm. protecting because it will help mm-hmm. sell the product. So you're, you should copyright all of your images, and in fact, the whole listing, including the copy as well. And my understanding in the US is that it's the easiest way to do that is to go, you can use a lawyer, or you can go direct to the US Copyright Office, and for mm-hmm. a couple of hundred dollars, you can probably protect the the uh, intellectual property in a listing, which for me sounds incredible value because great photographs will make a huge difference to the sale of a product over the period of mm-hmm. its lifetime. And for me, that's that's a no-brainer to get that done because quite often what you'll find is um, that if people are copying your product, uh, particularly in China, that you'll see not only will they copy the product, which is a patent infringement, but if you don't have a registered patent, that's a bit hard yeah. to deal with. But they will often make it easy for you to take them down because they'll copy your images as well. So quite often, even though what you're concerned about is somebody on Alibaba is selling your product or the product design you've uniquely made, the way you might actually take them down is much more straightforward. You look at their images, you compare them to yours, you register a complaint with Alibaba and you say, um, here's my copyright number yeah. with the US office. And that's a pretty straightforward route to just get that taken down. Yeah, the, the international challenges of this are, are hard to deal with. The reality for a lot of people is if you have intellectual property that you've you, that you own, the simplest way to have enforcement occur is when you see the malpractice occurring on marketplaces because the marketplace to the DMCA uh, takedown process is responsible. And so that's why if you see people selling your stuff wrongly on eBay, and we this is true for our business, we we do this. This is this is real for us, not not theoretical. If you see people selling wrongly on the big marketplaces, you you can work with the marketplace to get it resolved. The bigger challenge is if you see people selling your stuff wrongly on their own website or in ways that you can't easily remedy without like real lawsuits and that kind of thing. And then it always comes down to a cost benefit analysis. Like, is the juice worth the squeeze yeah. to pursue this stuff? And it can be very hard. But if you have an IP attorney who can issue a letter for you to people, that's helpful. But there's, you know, that's the challenge. Now, there is a couple categories of copyright and intellectual property that are ungovernable or uncontrollable. Public domain is one. So things in the public domain and then utilitarian items. And so there are things that are you cannot own a copyright for because they're referred mm-hmm. to as utilitarian items. And so, you know, you, you just have to work with an IP attorney to understand those nuances. A lot yeah. of times people think, well, I can use uh, public domain items and make money. And that can be true, but you want to look to see how that's doable and to make sure that actually there isn't claims made against those items already that you're not aware of. Aware of. But there are those categories where there's more nuance and gray area where it's like, uh-huh. okay, you know, the law doesn't apply to these areas because of certain specific reasons, their age or their categorized as utilitarian for the public good or that kind of thing. So what I think is interesting is, is there are certain stages of business growth where certain things are appropriate. And what I think is that mm-hmm. the startup mentality, which means you just do stuff, they just do it, quote mm-hmm. unquote, where I've just infringed, by the way, on a trademark by, by Nike by not asking their permission. <laughs> There's an example of how easily it's done. Um, if you take that mentality at the beginning, you'll get started. If you, if you go to lawyers and accountants before you do anything, then you'll probably scare yourself out of doing anything. Mm-hmm. However, if you're serious about building a significant uh, brand, I, I think what you just said is, really important that it's very amateurish way of building a business to build on it's a bit like buying a house or, mm-hmm. or building a house online mm-hmm. where you haven't got a professional surveyor in it's just mm-hmm. it's foolishness it's it's uh, yeah. foolish ways and penny wise pound stupid as they as they say here and it's yeah. foolish way of saving money what you've just referenced by the way i think we ought to discuss which is 
enforcement it's as as robert wright said and and this is incredibly simple but profound point is it's one thing to create intellectual property in Mm -hmm. terms of registering things with the the government it's another thing to enforce it you see i have to budget and make your you get your head around and make your peace with the fact that you will have to enforce this stuff if people are using your images on ebay or amazon it's no good copyright you know registering your copyright if you don't then have somebody look for it now you don't Mm -hmm. necessarily need a lawyer for this i know somebody who's got a, a va whose job is to simply spend their life on ebay looking for people copying their product images and Mm. sometimes on alibaba now although alibaba is a kind of foreign entity but it's actually also got a u.s company listed on is it the nasdaq Mm -hmm. or the new york stock exchange so from that point of view they will actually respect u.s intellectual property law but you have to have somebody looking for it and that is a job in itself and you have to make your peace with the fact that when you get something wonderful people want Mm -hmm. to copy it and therefore you have to spend time not only creating the legal right to do the, to defend yourself but then you actually need to you know mm-hmm. make the efforts so it's a bit like having a a law in a country that's no good without the police to enforce the law so yeah, those are your police right. you know police in the internet for you and that's actually a big job that you need to think through yeah and and sometimes you just realize that there's areas of your business that you have unintended consequences like you know our pixie fair site has over 3000 uh pattern designed, you know, patterns documented. That's all intellectual property. But when we first noticed that Chinese manufacturing companies were buying our patterns and then literally making the garments and selling them through their supply chain, we realized, oh, okay, so they're taking our intellectual property and then monetizing it through their supply chain in a way that we're not. We don't we don't manufacture at scale. And that was an unintended outcome for us. And we had to grapple with, do we care? Do we act? Do we not act? Do yeah. we benefit in any way? Do, does that hurt us? Does that help us? So there's nuance in this stuff that's sort of weird. So, okay, let's move on to the third and final um, category, which is really interesting one as well. Yeah. And that's the issue related to patents for your, your work, right? And yeah. so let's talk through that one. Yes, so they seem very they sound very expensive and difficult to get because a lot of people confuse two types of patents or patents. So the first one is a utility patent. That is very broad and I understand it can take tens of thousands of dollars, maybe ten thousand dollars, and maybe up to five years to get. And but it can last for twenty years. If you manage to get one, that's incredibly valuable. But as Robert Wright says, he's never really seen anyone in, in the e-commerce space that he's come across do that. It maybe there's the odd person that does that. But that's probably the reason most people have put off patents as an entire class, and that's a mm-hmm. shame because design patents are much easier to get. It can take, I understand in the USA, one one to one and a half years average. Mm-hmm. I suspect the UK is probably quicker just because the US everything's bigger and more complex. You've got you got federal law, you've got state law, you've got goodness knows what. But it can cost really um, the budget that, that Robert Wright would give is about uh, $1,500 to $2,000. So actually, we talked about that before, didn't we? There, that's actually if you're selling a product that can make you $60,000 in profit over the course of its life, that's yeah. pretty well spent money, I think. But there is a caveat. So as you said, if you register a patent, what you're basically doing is publicly registering and mm-hmm. telling the world how to make something very de- mm-hmm. in a very detailed way. So there is no point, not only is there no point in doing that, if you're not going to enforce it in the way we're just talking about policing it, but you're actively creating a problem for yourself that you're then going to have to go out and police and enforce very rigorously. So really, you need to decide if you're all in or all out on that one, because registering a patent and then not not only you know checking whether people are infringing it, but not actually being willing to do what you need to do to take them down, you're actually damaging your business more than, than you're helping it. So that was a very yeah. interesting nuance. I thought that 
you know, intellectual property creation and enforcement, two sides of the same coin. And the enforcement mm -hmm. is, is just not something that occurs to you unless you've been through it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Of course, my business partner, Kyle, has a brand he runs with his with his business partner, a guy named Gary, and they did design patent work on their packaging, actually, for one of their products. And because it was a really novel packaging concept. And, you know, to me, as I think about that, first of all, it was really interesting packaging. And... And, and it was, you, you know, unique to them and, and their category. No one else was doing it that way. But I think as I reflect on how they did that, to me, the, the value is in the total asset control that's uh, of what they've created so that they could, you know, in, in the future, sell that and say, yeah, we have a design patent on this par interesting part of our, of our product. And that makes them more valuable. Just that it makes their, if they ever wanted to sell, that makes it, yeah. I think, more valuable to say, yes, this is novel. This is interesting how we've done this. And here's the a, a design patent to, you know, to, to document the fact that it's, you, you know, ours. That's yeah. that to me is interesting work. And uh, you're right. I think it does imply an open to the universe in terms of how something's been done. Of course, there's beyond, you know, patents, there's open source work deliberately is done sometimes <laughs> in, in intellectual property space. You know, I mean, some people are open sourcing their code or their you know system or process for the betterment of humanity because they want to spur people on to do similar things and so i mean that's an interesting angle as well it's where it's like you could get the patent but you don't but you open source it meaning you put it all out there for free for any anyone else to see how you're doing something that's a unique case maybe but you know elon musk is in that category in a few ways and other people, Jack Dorsey is doing that with crypto business he's building. And I think it is a very interesting space to think through when you do want to have something be a secret or private or intellectually protected and when you want it to be open and public and other people know what you're doing, you know. By the way, there's the, the third category, which is when something was protected and then it isn't anymore, because which is no why wonder, um, yeah. um, fidget yeah. spinners became incredibly popular in 2016 because they've been under a design oh. patent, I think, or oh, probably. I didn't know that. I'd imagine okay. a utility patent because it's quite broad. Okay. So, And yeah. then after 20 years, it lapses. And obviously the lady who did it either didn't want to uh, bother or, or it died yeah. and her estate wasn't interested or they didn't know what they had. And that's why suddenly everyone in the world started selling uh, fidget spinners. So yeah. that's, a, that's a third version where somebody created it possibly for the betterment of humanity i think yeah. it was for autistic kids wasn't it and then it gets in you know commercialized to the nth degree but mm -hmm. again that kind of proves why you want to have something unique and then protect it because actually that was an example of everyone copying something that was no longer unique because everyone had the right mm -hmm. to do it they did because that's what chinese factories do <laughs> they all copy each other and yeah. so that that leads to a sort of race to the bottom very quickly so I guess that's part of the sort of sort of drawing this to a close. It's it's part of the mentality you have of creating something unique mm -hmm. and going to that trouble and because it's more unique from the marketing perspective and then protecting it legally, which means you can take down other competition. So yeah. anything that your uh, ideal buyers can see, your competition can see. Mm -hmm. And the only way to square that circle is really to pr intellectually property protect things so that your your buyer your competition can see this desirable product brand color scheme whatever it is photography yeah. but they're not allowed to copy it and you're willing to get your hands dirty and enforce that in mm -hmm. whatever ways you need to whether it's just writing on the amazon platform and getting it taken down very easily or whether you even occasionally perhaps take somebody to court so yeah. i think it's as much a way of looking at business as it is anything else really yeah what you just mentioned about the fidget spinners is interesting to me because it kind of creates the entrepreneurial mind in me says you know <laughs> 
there are probably a lot of people who have done work to create original concepts, to have it even documented, who maybe haven't commercialized as well as they potentially could have. And, you know, the expiration of, you know, kind of the, the patent allows for a broader commercialization. But I would just say there are a lot of businesses that are closed every year. There are a lot of businesses that are for sale. And if you're thinking with your, you know, acquisition hat on, you really want to look through what's out there and what could be potentially for sale that somebody's just never made revenue off of, but was actually an interesting or good idea that has maybe gotten the opportunity, you could have an opportunity to commercialize something where someone else just wasn't able to do it. Maybe they were the, the, you know, the mad scientist who maybe just didn't have the sales and marketing chops. And, you know, I think those are interesting opportunities as well. So. 100% agree. I mean, I know a couple of examples of that. One of the members of the mastermind, uh, Ashley, is currently looking into buying uh, websites because he's getting mm-hmm. big into SEO and he's starting to do that for the members of the mastermind. But that's part of then suddenly gets you into the intellectual property area mm-hmm. yep. very quickly. And um, as part of that, he's starting to realize this, this same thing. Somebody else I know, Dana Derricks, who sold on Amazon for a while and was an Amazon copywriter, bought a formulation for some kind of animal kind of supplements. He happens also to be a goat farmer. Go figure, he's a unique human being. And so he kind of knew a bit bit about that and he realized the value of that and that he knew about animals and how you should treat them and that he can monetize that on Amazon. And I think he bought the formula for $3,000, which means he can go straight to a contract manufacturer. It's probably got the right certification and everything else if you're Mm -hmm. lucky, which could cost you thousands to get and say, make this. It's already certified. It's unique. He owns the um, patent on it and the formulation, probably some kind of trade secret, I guess. But anyway, which way you can then use that to fend off the competition. So you're absolutely right. I think right now is an amazing opportunity for that with a lot of businesses that have they've built a lot of whether it's brand equity so it could be a trademark whether it's formulations like we just said where they've got beautiful images you could use and buy the copyrights to that there is an amazing opportunity there if you if you get outside the box and start you know really looking broader i, I agree entirely back to the title of this you know conversation how to build an intellectual property empire some yeah. empires are built from scratch and novel original creation others you just buy and buy and buy you acquire companies even small companies that you can make big and uh, there are many ways to approach it so i think getting really good at this set of topics the the ip issues allows you the ability to then operate in the space in one or the other or both and and uh, cinnamon and i have purchased i think 12 companies now in the last two years where our, our purchasing was all about the intellectual property. So that, I mean, that I'm speaking from, you know, my last 24 months of work and that's, that, that is what we're doing in addition to creating our own intellectual property. And so that, that could be a whole different podcast, but um, I was just about to say, yeah. you're not getting away with that. We're going to definitely have to talk about yeah. that insofar as you're able, if you're, you can't, you don't have sure. to shoot me afterwards uh, for revealing you know, secrets under NDA, that, that sounds fascinating. So uh, absolutely right. That's part of the the bigger picture. And mm-hmm. as you say, the, the more you look into intellectual property, just to sort of bring this home, really, um, the more exactly, as you said, I think of it as a very overarching knowledge set and understanding mm-hmm. that whilst you should never substitute for getting a good lawyer in, I think this is why I justify talking about it as a non-lawyer, mm-hmm. because as a, as the entrepreneur, I think you have to have a firm grasp on finance. And that's the really grown up people. They start off by thinking marketing's everything. And then you realize you can sell right. lots and lots of money and give 100% of it to Amazon and your supplier and whoever else is involved or Shopify. Mm-hmm. 
And then the next level of sophistication is finance obsession. And the really smart people I know are obsessed with that. But what you're talking about is another layer of sophistication, I think, which is understanding the legal Mm -hmm. um, thinking and understanding the landscape, which then I think goes into being entrepreneurial. It's not just a specialist thing you hand to a lawyer and forget. It's part of your strategy. And and that's super smart. And I'm definitely going to grill you on or off air about those acquisitions. I had no idea you'd been doing that. That's super cool. That's an interesting hierarchy you just outlined. Yeah, mm. that's very interesting. So we okay, we just unlocked several open loops for we have for to potential be continued. Yes. In the yeah. Well, let's wrap this up. So if you're listening to this live with us, thank you again. It's always an honor to be able to chat. And for those of you listening via the podcast recording, we're grateful for your subscribership and your reviews and all that stuff. We did run a contest in the month of July, and we are going to announce the winner next week in our live uh, podcast. And we're grateful for everybody who entered the uh, the contest. And so, and we, it's fun and we're going to probably continue to do that. So we'll kick one off here in the next, you know, few weeks or so we'll see, but maybe we'll skip the month of August and, uh, and go for one in September. But it's a, it's an honor to be able to have people participate. It's an honor to people have, have people jump into our contest. If you're listening to this live with us, of course, we'd love to have you check out the podcast on your player of choice and subscribe. Spotify is my player of choice. I don't know, Michael, do you have a player of choice that you use? We've never really asked. I tend to use Apple Podcasts. I don't think any podcast player has really cracked the way that you discover things Mm -hmm. in a very good way compared to Google or or anything really. It's so yeah, yeah, podcasts because I'm kind of Apple loyalist, but actually, yeah, it it doesn't really matter. They're all kind of the same. So I would say, whichever system you're on, we'd love to get you subscribed. Although I would just say, from the selfish point of view, if you're on Apple Podcasts, you can give us a rating with stars, Mm -hmm. which I don't know if is possible in most Mm -hmm. platforms. So for that reason. I'd, I'd encourage you to give us a rating on, on, on Apple Podcasts. Awesome. As always, man, fantastic conversation. Really, really uh, love this one. And thanks, everybody, for hanging out with us today and subscribing and, and listening to The E-Commerce Leader with us. Thanks so much. That was The E-Commerce Leader podcast with Michael Vesey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. If you liked this content, don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast app. For free resources, including PDFs and videos on topics like traffic, products, and sales channels, just go to www.theecommerceleader.com. No hyphens, just as it sounds. Thanks so much for listening.